This is a Broad Pods production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. More of us. Broad Radio. Here for more. Good morning and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and I'm thrilled that my co-host today is Sarah Paul Chanel. Hi there, Sarah Paul. Hello, Jo. Emma Murray, who is a peak performance and mindfulness coach and I will tell you is honestly one of the most uh, amazing women that I've ever worked with. Um, it was transformative the time that I spent with Emma. And then also we're going to be joined by Dr. Sean Pryor, who is one of my favourite writers. I'm basically just fangirling today. You are. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. I, I love the juicy topics we're going to get into. Yeah, it's a lot about resilience. Yeah. Yes, um, which I think we all need. Have you, Serpil, connected with this re- endless, I was going to say ridiculous, but but might be unkind for people who are mourning the loss of the Queen. But the last week of pomp and ceremony? I've dipped in in and out of it. Mm. So I haven't been glued to the television or the radio like like some people. Um, I I, I mean, it's a big historic moment, so you don't want to miss out on... Uh, the the moment, I suppose. I, I spoke to my sister in the UK, and so she gave me a, a pretty good rundown of you know what's happening in London on the ground. So she actually took her and the kids went out to London, and she took she said it took forever to get into London Central, hours, and the entire it felt like the entire city had been turned into a flower garden because there wow. were just flowers everywhere. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So she said she you know she felt like you know it was. Uh, a massive occasion that, you know, would be a once in a lifetime experience. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, in, in terms of uh, thinking around the monarchy, I, I'm, I'm not a monarchist, um, but, you know, I, I get that there's a there's a place to, to mourn the Queen, but I also think that the monarchy in, in 2022 is a little bit problematic, Joe. Mm, absolutely. I think, I think um, that, you know, the time of kings and queens, I would have thought... Uh, would have been sort of over by 2022. I also think in in a country like ours, you need to be very nuanced and mindful about how we have the conversations around the monarchy because we still haven't resolved a lot of things around uh, our our Indigenous community. And, you know, um, it is painful to be having these conversations uh, for the Indigenous community. So Mm. I think we we need to 
be quite nuanced about how we how we approach um, this topic, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, and the occasion and whatever that represents. I, I feel, um, and I absolutely agree with what you're saying there, but I also acknowledge that uh, you can be affected by the loss of someone who's very, very famous. Like if we all, if we have connection with something and someone and the whatever they represent, a lot of people I've spoken to have said, well, she kind of represented my nana for me or my grandma. And so there's sort of a sense of loss there. So I acknowledge that you can be saddened by that. And, and um, you know, that's that's entirely uh, fair enough. I did not watch the funeral, um, or, but I, I have to say there was one thing that I did see, I don't know how it popped up in my feed, which was Senator Holly Hughes on Sky News um, saying the most horrific things about Harry and Megan. And I just hope now that this funeral is done that they can go back to their lives and not be just the subject of the most appalling vitriol Based on nothing. This woman, Senator Holly Hughes, she says about Megan, I think she's had a terrible influence over him. She's just a horrible human. They're awful, revolting, revolting people. She's never met them. How can you judge someone based on made-up headlines, made-up stories? I cannot fathom how you can be so cruel and say something so publicly and that we tolerate this. I think it's it, it's become a bit of a sport, and I think if a person represents something that you're against, it becomes fair game. So, if Meghan Markle is trying to uh, criticise the monarchy, and you're a staunch monarchist, let's just say, then it becomes fair game for that person to to criticise them, and and it's cruel because mm. at the at the end of the day, what do you achieve out of criticising? criticising someone like you said that you've you've never met um and you know I'm, I'm sure you've experienced lots of criticism in in your public profile role that has has inf- impacted you well i i wouldn't say that i have i mean i was never really trust me no one no one really cares enough about me to criticize me that much i think but i have witnessed it i've witnessed people make comments about celebrities that i've met and I was like, well, I've, I think you're talking rubbish because you don't know that person. I actually find it irresponsible. And we nonstop talk in the media now about how we want to destigmatize mental illness and suicide ideation and how we really want to support people and whatever they're dealing to be kind of, you know, healthy and well. And yet we sanction that kind of conversation, which we know actually that Megan has she has had extreme reaction to the kind of abuse that she's had. And yeah, we saw right. Harry recently in an interview said that he yeah. that she confessed to him that she had suicide ideation. So even aside from her as an individual, that now becomes a tolerant... We tolerate this conversation in society and that pervades how we treat other people. So what, what do you think um, has brought us to this point, Joe? Is, is it social media? Is it the, the need for attention? Because I, I feel like, I mean, were we always this unkind? Or is this a new phenomenon? Because, you know, we, we, we mm. constantly are bombarded by ganging up on a particular individual or unloading on a particular individual. And, you know, today it might be Meghan Markle, but flick on the news tomorrow, yes. I guarantee you it will be someone else filling in her shoes. And I don't know what it is. 
And is it just because simply because news outlets need to sell stories? It's click worthy. Mm. It's just clickbait. Is that what it is? Or is it people who want their five minutes of fame and so they're saying something that's outrageous so that it throws the spotlight on them, like Senator Holly Hughes? Potentially it's both. I think people do like being controversial because they know they get column inches. I also think that as a community, we like having a common enemy, like it binds us somehow. And for some reason, that's been the narrative in the royal family for decades. Obviously, we saw it with Diana and Fergie. So I I, I don't know if there's something around if there was someone who's done some sort of sociology study on tribalism, (laughs) why we need to actually be so like it's like kicking out the reject from the pack in a way yeah. you know why 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 would we do that but it, it just is so irresponsible and it appalls me that the media on one hand are are you okay days all over the place and then yeah. on the other it's all right to say all this horrible stuff about someone yeah kindness is the only thing that's actually going to really address our terrible situation with mental illness i think absolutely in- i think you know empathy has to be what binds us all yeah. together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I tell you, I did have empathy, though. One last little thing on the on the funeral for the Queen. I did have a great deal of empathy for the private family because their final commitment finished at 4.30 a.m. <laughs> oh, it must have been a long day for Can them. Can you imagine? They, had to, they took the Queen back to St George's Chapel for that private uh, um, committal service. 4.30 a.m. that finished, which... Wow. Um, and we also forget that, you know, um, they're, they're public figures, but they've just lost a loved one. Yeah. And, you know, you would want five minutes to grieve your loved one mm. alone mm. and have that alone time like any other normal family. But they don't get to experience that normality, which, mm. you know, you have to feel for them from that regard. I do. Absolutely. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. More of us. Broad Radio. Here for more. Um, well, I'm super excited to welcome a woman who, um, when it comes to mental health, she's got a lot to say herself. She's got an incredibly uh, broad experience around 
all of the wonderful tools that we can access to get through life. And I must say that the times I've had in deep conversation with this woman have been transformative for me. So I'm thrilled to welcome Peak Performance and Mindfulness Coach. Uh, she is that to some of Australia's top athletes and some not so famous people as well. Emma Murray, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. So I'm listening intently to your opening conversation then wanting to butt in and well, why? You, well, what's your perspective? Because I know that you have you have a really beautiful insight into the way our minds work, and you know instinct and all that sort of stuff. What, what's your perspective on why why do people wish to demonise members of our community in that way? I mean, I can't answer that, but I think what's happening for a lot of people is we don't feel great in us. And, um, you know, life's tough, it's a grind, we get to the end of the day and, and we don't feel great. And somehow across the years, we have made it okay to have a say about famous people. And so it's like we vomit our feelings onto this fair game and um, you know you talked about kindness being the only way forward I really think we have to start being a little bit kinder to ourselves and being able to sort our own stuff out rather than you know dealing with it by letting it build up letting it build up and then we just vomit it onto other people you know the thing that really gets me is going to like the football and watching people um, how they speak at the players, about the players, the umpires. You know, it's it's horrific. Like mm. it's not even – like it's mind-blowing sometimes that they can let themselves be in such an unhealthy, you know, state, emotional state, and that their way to deal with that is to go to the football and just – you know, put this onto other people like it's fair game. Yeah. And I try and look at those people with empathy and go, what's going on for you that you can, you feel the need to do that? So I do think we have to sort ourselves out a little bit if we want to make any headroads into it. Emma, on that, I believe like one of the things that you do is when you're, when you're working with people to help them bring their A game, you, you work with them around emotional regulation what are some of the the red flags that you're looking for and and how can we um how can we get better at emotional regulation so we're not hurling abuse at you know the umpire or or the football players or or our, our children colleague <laughs> <laughs> no seriously our children you, you know um I think the biggest red flag, the thing that is really going on for most people is just a complete lack of self-awareness. And if we if we don't have self-awareness, I say if, you know, I talk about this concept of having an A game and a B game and our B games and we're stuck on all of that stuff that's out of our control. You know, Meghan Markle is out of our control. How she lives, what she does, who she is, is out of our control. When we get stuck on that stuff, you know, whether it's our boss, the deadlines, you know, what our kids are or aren't doing, you know, what the neighbours doing, what the politicians are doing. When we get stuck on that stuff, it shows up for each of us very differently. For some people, it shows up, you know, going to the football and abusing the umpires or yelling at our kids. For other people, it shows up going really quiet, retreating, removing yourself from life. It shows up very differently. But if we cannot catch that in ourselves, 
then we can't start to control it and refocus it and shift it and change it. So my biggest red flag is, you know, people that have zero self-awareness of that. And, you know, I mean, that comment, Joe, that you just said about what the journalist said about Megan, that is horrific. Like how you cannot have self-awareness around what I'm saying, what I'm doing to another person, what I'm feeling, what's behind that. That's the problem, that we just have zero awareness. So, you know, and, and it's a difficult one to teach, but it has to start there. Well, it starts with recognising even the physical signs, I suppose. What, what, okay, yeah. I know that if I am, you know, outside that window of tolerance and I've been, you know, really reached the end of my tether, I know that I start to get, you know, sort of sweaty and I, like whatever it might be, my voice starts getting really fractious or, you know, I guess we have to train ourselves to recognise those things in ourselves, right? Yeah, that's right. We talk about that every thought has a feeling attached to it and these thoughts and feelings, they dictate our actions, our behaviours. So every behaviour, every habitual behaviour, and that's the point that we need to understand, these responses in us are habitual. I'm not going to go to the football and yell at an umpire, but these people have probably gone every Friday, whether it's at the television or at the ground, they've done that same behaviour. It's very habitual. And so it's really understanding behind that habitual response and, and yelling at our kids is a big one. There is a certain feeling attached to that and a certain thought attached. It's really tough to catch that thought it's a lot easier to catch that feeling, um, you know, whether it's that anger, it's the tight shoulders. And when I use that feeling, try and think of that as physiology as well. So that might be my voice goes really high or it goes really loud or, you know, my posture gets very, very tense or very small or very big. I stand over people. So it's trying to catch that physiology and that feeling. And that's the moment where we catch it that we need to put a strategy in place, like I walk away or I take three breaths or I, I repeat a mantra to myself to try and interrupt that habitual response that many of us have been playing for years and years. It just goes without us thinking about it. One of the things that um, you, know, you say that helps is mindfulness. Why is it important to, to focus on the here and now, not the past, not the future? Why does it pay to sharpen that tool? Yeah, you know, when I learned mindfulness, I learned it um, very traditionally, you know, monks and people who had learned off monks. And I remember I was at a, a retreat and, um, you know, someone very experienced in mindfulness said to me, Emma, there is no struggle in the present moment. Um, the struggle sits out of the, outside of the present moment. And I... I sort of got that, I, th I thought about that, but that really hit home to me when, um, for those that know my story, my, my son, um, he's 20 years old now, but when he was 14, he um, jumped from a pier and broke his neck. He became quadriplegic, sustained a spinal cord injury. And I remember um, when he was in hospital, 
And I really thought about that saying, there's no struggle in the present, you know, there's no struggle in the present moment. I really thought about, well, how can you say that? You know, I'm about to walk into a hospital room. My son's lying in a bed. He can't move anything or feel anything from the chest and shoulders down. But when I really thought about that, I thought about the struggle is not walking into a room and and talking to my son. The struggle is in me um, thinking about our future and he'll never walk again and he'll never do this and he won't do that. Or the struggle is in me going, why did I let him go to the beach? Why wasn't I there? Why did it have to be so shallow that day? You know, just walking in the present moment, all I was doing was walking into a room and having a conversation with my son. So in the present moment there is no struggle for us it's all the stories around that present moment so if we can spend more time just in the present moment right here right now you and i we're moving our mouths we're moving our lips we're you know having a conversation it's when we attach all that other stuff to it where the struggle comes in so just trying to come back into right here right now that's a saying that I've used a lot since Will's accident. Right here, right now, all I'm doing is this. That's it. Nothing else. So, and what is it about us, though, that we have those worry thoughts? I mean, there's a reason for them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, and I say that because you've taught me this. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, we can curse this reason every day. But, no, this reason is very important. This reason keeps us alive. You know, we are human and we have, you know, our human wiring, our mind-body connection is wired purely for survival. I think everyone needs to understand that our surviving, our wiring is not to make us great at our jobs or great parents or a great friend or, you know, really good at emotional regulation. Our wiring is just purely so we can stay one step of ahead of threats that could potentially end our lives. So it's important that we have this worrying, but it brings us unstuck because, you know, back in caveman era, we were trying to stay one step ahead of the threat of, you know, wild animals and and starvation and exposure to the to the weather. But they're not our threats for most people. They're not our threats anymore. And you know, our and and you mentioned Joe in the introduction about that tribalism. Our greatest threat as humans in today's world is actually being out from the tribe. It's disconnection. It's being alone. And so we're constantly going through our day trying to stay one step ahead of what people think of us. You know, am I doing the wrong thing? What could people not like me for? Um, And so because of that, the strategy that we have created to keep us alive is a very powerful self-critical mind. So it's like this self-critical mind wants to constantly tell us, don't wear that, don't say that. It wants to replay the things that we did that we shouldn't have done. So that it's as if our mind is trying to say, let me protect you from doing anything that could mean that people don't like you and could disconnect from you. And this self-critical mind is wild and it makes us feel all of these things that then we then go and take it out on our children and Meghan Markle and mm-hmm. AFL umpires. Uh, and I also think because of our self-critical minds, we often don't like admitting as a society uh, any performance challenges, whether you know it's in a game of sport, whether it's on the job, whether it's running a small business, because no one likes to feel like, you know, 
well, I'm a bit of a failure, mm. I'm weak, you know, so people are going to judge me, they're going to think I'm not good enough. How do we flip that script? Yeah, I, I think there's some incredible people, you know, the Resilience Project, for instance, they're, they're getting a lot of messages out there around the power of vulnerability. Brene Brown, a lot of people have heard about her um, and we're starting to hear words like authenticity and vulnerability that uh, are really about owning the fact that, you know, I'm not perfect and that's okay. And, and the funny thing is, I wish we all realised we actually connect through our imperfections. We don't connect through having everything right. You know, I'm certainly not drawn to the mother at school who's got the perfect plate of brownies for the fate. And, you know, I hate that mother. Perfectly. <laughs> with the mother who's always late and her kids are slightly dishevelled with, with, you know, their lunchbox because that's what I relate to. Um, but, you know, it's, it's understanding that it's our um, imperfections that are going to connect us and, and, being, and, and seeing that as a strength. I do think we are starting to hear that message. We're getting that message sometimes slightly wrong, that vulnerability means I now have to share my deepest, darkest stuff with the world and I have to outdo you on challenges and struggles. Um, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in the work environment saying, I don't know the answer to that. I'm stuck on this. I need help with that. Um, it's ask, you know, a mum asking another mum for help with something or, um, you know, admitting that you're having a hard time. It doesn't have to be, you know, giving over all my deepest, darkest secrets. Um, so resilience, obviously, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a buzzword, you know. We talk so much about resilience at the moment, as well as mm. mindfulness. Um, it's different from a toxic positivity, which is another kind of buzzword. How do we find that sweet spot where we may have the tool belt for resilience, but also kind of honour the fact that life is hard? Yeah, I you know, I have a saying um, that I can do hard things. Uh, you know, that was a, a big saying for our family after Will's accident. You know, we can do hard things. I can do hard things. It's, um, you know, there's a difference between positivity. You know, everything's great. Everything's fine. You know, that, that does breed that toxicity. I think optimism is a really important tool in being able to say that, um, you know, I'm scared, this is hard, um, but I'm trusting, I, I'm not trusting everything will be okay, I'm trusting that I will find a way through it. Um, you know, I'm trusting that that I can draw on people to help me through it. And this was another thing for Will's accident. You know, for me, I, um, you, know, you know, we hear the tool gratitude all the time and and I really struggled with that after Will's accident, you know, how gratitude was all of a sudden supposed to make me feel, you know, everything was okay. But what I did really dig into was two tools, um, which for me I prefer than using words like re resilience. First, I used the tool of acceptance. So really digging into accepting that um, I can't change the situation, accepting that it's normal to feel the way I was feeling after that, that what had happened, accepting that 
you know, the way people are behaving is out of your control. I think that acceptance has to be our starting point before we get into resilience or um, gratitude or, you know, anything else. It's like just accept. And, and when we talk about acceptance, actually first starting with self-acceptance, accepting that I'm... It, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to feel tired after a pandemic and everything else we've got on. It's okay to feel like I'm not doing a great job in this mother working role. So acceptance, I think, is really powerful. And if that's not something that you have practiced in your life, really recommend um, reading up on it more. Tara Brack, B-R-A-C-H, psychologist and mindfulness practitioner who coined the term radical acceptance, where we really have to accept you know I say spinal cord injuries radical acceptance accepting something I shouldn't have to or don't want to so I think acceptance is the gateway to all of the you know resilience and everything else and I also love optimism you know optimism is not that positive thinking it's just thinking I'm going to find a way and I don't think you can drop into optimism until you have acceptance with what's going on around you um and when you're really tough, I had a lot of optimism around the people around me. You know, I maybe wasn't sure about my own ability to cope, but I was optimistic that as a community, um, as a group of people, you know, we were going to be able to, to get through spinal cord injuries. So, you know, that's when I think of resilience, they're the things I think of. Mm. Emma, I want to circle back to um, mindfulness because Joe and I were talking off air earlier about how we're just bombarded with information all the time. You know, you've got your text messages, you've got your inbox, you've got social media. It's just constant chatter and it's really hard to laser focus on something. I feel like our focus has been stolen. I, I know that, you know, I apply the Pomodoro method when I'm doing really concentrated bursts of activity and just shut everything out and I'm so productive but it's really hard to ignore everything else going on around you um, I guess my question is how do we rec we reclaim our enhanced focus are there some tips and tools that we can apply to reclaim yeah. it yeah it's it's getting harder isn't it it's so so difficult um, and we have to again acceptance we have to accept that that's the world we live in it's fast it's um you know really at us the whole time and you know i don't believe the answer is saying okay get off social media you know remove this remove that because i think those tools can also play a really important role in connection in today's world and so it's more setting boundaries and taking a little bit of control back around the noise. So when I'm talking boundaries, um, a few things that I do, I make sure the feed of information that is coming to me is, you know, any, any accounts, any feed that doesn't make me feel good, that doesn't help me, I, I unlike I remove and I make sure that I'm getting a healthy balance of information in that is actually filling me up um, and, and if you're someone that doesn't find a lot of time to read actually having a great media social media feed can really help you get the information that you need but in saying that what I do is when I am feeling like I'm getting a little bit noisy in my mind and overwhelmed I take off social media for a few weeks so I start 
I, I control it. I can, that comes back to that self-awareness. Okay, I've got the self-awareness that I am spending too much time on this. I am getting pulled too much into this. So I'll just have some time off it. But I think things like having rules around um, there's a particular spot in the house when I come home from work, I put my phone there, I connect with the kids before I get back on my phone, um, I have a time that I put my phone away at night, uh, when I walk the dog, I leave my phone, you know, at home. So just creating boundaries around that noise and, again, accepting, I wish everyone, um, you know, any of my friends who will listen to this will know this, that I accept that I cannot control how people think of me. I can't control what they feel if I don't respond to their texts, what they feel if I don't get back to them about something. And I don't necessarily reply to everything or reply to everything in the speed of light that everyone else does. Um, and people get really uncomfortable about that. And I'm like, I didn't invite everyone to contact me. I didn't ask for you to contact me. I, I didn't that. invite that in. And so um, I'm not responding to yeah. that because it's stealing my focus. Yeah, that's so, on you. You chose to contact me. It's you chose to contact me. <laughs> it's not like... I don't, I, I, I didn't sign a contract that I have to respond to you every time you contact me. It's amazing to me how that, how uncomfortable that makes people feel. Yeah. And I would choose my mental health over how you feel about me not responding any day of the week. Uh, I just, uh, that in itself, to give yourself permission to go, oh, I don't need to respond right now. A lot of it, I think, comes down to the self-compassion and acknowledging that you're worthy of those boundaries that you are entitled to set up that space that keeps you well, which I think a lot of us, yeah, we need to practice that a lot, Em. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was having the conversation with, yeah, I, someone was saying to me, I think you need to get better at, like, actually saying to them, you know, I'm not responding right now. And I'm like, I don't. I could fill my days actually telling people I'm not responding to them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I want people to check out your website, highperformancemindfulness.com.au, because you do this incredible work in schools, in the corporate world, for individuals. I know what you're doing, Em, is so important. It absolutely changed my life, and I use the tools that you gave me pretty much daily, almost, um, uh, and I quote you all the time. I always say, Emma Murray says. So <laughs> thanks well, so I'm much. So, you know, I'm so proud of you, Joe. I, I, you know, broad radio was something you used to talk about, and here I am finally on as a guest, and I'm super proud of you. You should be super proud of yourself. It's thanks, incredible uh, what you're doing. Thanks, Em. Um, Highperformancemindfulness.com.au is the website. Emma Murray is the woman. She's amazing. Thanks so much for the chat, Em. You have a great day. There you go. Thanks, you em. too. Bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.